Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he gets older and high school girls stay the same age, it's Arturo Zarita. And we talked about this quote, Zach. This is 2018. This quote does not work anymore. That has officially become the gift that is used whenever another person comes out as being alleged. And uh, we were saying this. Matthew McConaughey back then was a good-looking Matthew McConaughey. He wasn't the Matthew McConaughey in the Lincoln commercial. It was Matthew McConaughey with the pedal mustache. Matthew McConaughey with the bull haircut. Yeah, the weirdly dyed hair. It's weird that 30 years later, he's so much more attractive than way back then. But yeah. I don't know. Maybe that Hollywood money's good for and you. The, and the quote is just is creepier 30 years yeah. later than it was back then. So Man, I'm just trying to celebrate your birthday. You, you're another year oh, older. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we didn't do the podcast last week because yeah. uh, May 11th, my birthday. And it was Mother's Day as well. Uh, thanks, man. Yeah. 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 Uh, some people still think I'm 50 because I had mentioned... <laughs> I was 50 in my Black Panther. He was like, how? You're you right. So how? Good. That's not. You look so, You look incredible. Yeah. I said, oh, it's that vibranium. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, 25. 25 right there. There you go. So you and your twin brother. Uh, combined my twin brother is also 25. Yeah, combined <laughs> we're 50. Combined we're 50. Nice, nice. Uh, so we're going to get into movie news topics and more. Talk about the Cannes Film Festival on this week's show. We're also going to talk about Amazon's upcoming Lord of the Rings television show. Oh, yeah. But first, we start the way we start every podcast here on Intercut. Art, what have you been watching? Or... Listening to. Or listening to, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like I said, I I went to Minnesota, and it's an eight-hour trip to Minnesota. I always say, find yourself an album, find yourself a song, something that's going to define the trip. Weeks, months, years later, you listen to that song, that album, you remember that California trip, that New York trip. Um, When I visited you, when I I went to New York, uh, what was I listening to at that time? I want to say it was the... I guess it really was not that defining of the trip. <laughs> right. It was the the Offset album, the Offset Travis oh, album. Right, so every right. time, yeah, the Hancho Jack. So every time I listen to that, I remember just just driving and getting charged freaking twenty dollars on the Jersey tollways. Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> it's not. But uh, for the Minnesota trip, I didn't really have a song per se. I mean, there was some some songs I listened to. The John Mayer song is really good. Um, there's that one song on the Playboy Cardi album with Uzi that I do like. But I ended up. Eight-hour trip, listening to a show people want me to cover, right? New Netflix show, 13 episodes of this Netflix show. I am not going to watch it. I am not going to, to get to my hotel and then decide, you know what? 13 reasons why. Forget the Mall of America. I want to spend watching that. No. I decided to, to listen to it on the drive there. My girlfriend was pretty much doing What's it called? The Audible thing? Where, you know what I'm talking about. When it describes to you what's happening on the show. Audio description commentary. Yeah, Exactly, yeah. right? So I'm like, I'm hearing everything that's going on, but she'll just be like, now it's Justin. Now it's Justin. He's coming in. He's come back. He, he's looking at Clay. Oh, no, so she Justin was watching it. She was watching it the whole time. So, so it's not like I'm missing anything. Right, right. Per se, right? Uh, also is the idea, and I talked to you about this comment that I got of someone telling me when I had said, movies are all should be show, don't tell. Yeah. And they called me an idiot because... That phrase supposedly is for storytelling. Storytelling is about showing, not telling. But Zach, what are movies? Stories that you tell? They're a form of storytelling. So yeah. yes, 
13 Reasons Why just so happens to be a skewed version of that because 13 Reasons Why um, is sometimes straight up exposition that you don't even need to watch. It's not Westworld. It's not Game of Thrones where you need to pay attention to the visual storytelling. Yeah. They'll literally tell you, oh, no, Clay. Clay, why are you on the bridge, Clay? Clay, back off. Okay, I am backing off. Just, It's like they tell you everything. So literally, it was the perfect thing to listen to and get done because I got a couple of videos coming in uh, on it. But the most interesting part about the season was the fact that it was released that Thursday night, Friday, and then the events in Texas happened. Right, right. They ended and, up canceling the uh, like red carpet premiere in Los Angeles because of the Santa Fe school shooting. I had said this with season one. I'm like, it's going to allude to a school shooting. And of course, people called me an idiot. <laughs> hey, season two's here. The whole show toys around with that idea of this kid who's the photographer. So he what's to people? He shoots people. Uh, They're so heavy handed on people going, hey, Tyler, shoot me. <laughs> huh? Y'all really are not toying around with, ah, oh, we got you. Hey, viewers, it looks, oh, we're going to play with the idea that he's going to shoot people. There's there's right. points where he literally sets up a backpack with explosives, and he sets it somewhere, and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is, no, it's not. Boom. Haha, it's just paint. Hey, storytellers, this isn't something you want to, that's what you do when someone's, like, about to maybe flirt with somebody, and you go, ah, a tease. You don't yeah, tease that's... a school shooting. That was just one of, like, six instances. It feels a little gross. It feels a little gross, and they do that every other episode. They go to a shooting range, and then he goes, oh, this feels really good. I know what to do next. Just kidding. We're, we're, it's graf graffiti. When we said the line, they'll never forget us. We're going to leave our mark. They meant graffiti. <laughs> they know exactly what they're doing. And then at the end, they go, oh, just kidding. We are going to give you the school shooting. Uh, and I don't want to fully spoil it, but... Yeah, it's really weird when you when you think of the events of that Friday in Texas and how that all plays into it. And um, yeah, I have a more in-depth video on that, but I take it you were watching 13 Reasons Why, Zach. What were you watching? Uh, no, I did not watch 13 Reasons Why, and I don't know if I'm going to based on your recommendation. Listen to why. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make it a podcast. Uh, I have been also watching something on Netflix, uh, Wild Wild Country. Have you heard anything about it yet? I saw two and a half episodes. I never finished it. Did you finish it? Uh, yeah, okay. I finished it. Okay. Um, the, I would say that, like, that's around the point where it gets really, really interesting. Two episodes, three episodes in. That's what someone told me. The first episode is a lot of background information on uh, this guy, the Bhagwan. He's this uh, religious leader of sorts that preaches about meditation, but also and indulges in material things. Smashing. So. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of, like, uh, sexuality and freedom of sexuality, yeah. which is appealing to people. So, you know, he he starts getting all these, uh, like, hippie-ish type people following him, and his uh, his followers grow to, like, pretty huge amounts. Mm -hmm. Amounts that I'm surprised I didn't know about. Uh, and where this story sort of picks off, uh, after the end of the first episode... The Bhagwan and his right-hand woman, his secretary, Sheila, move their operation to Oregon That's, outside yeah. of some small towns that are just completely baffled by their existence there. Uh, and it becomes small-town America versus hippie, liberal yeah. commune where maybe they're okay with murdering people. Uh, it, it's really cool because you kind of... Start the show off thinking like, you know, this Bhagwan guy seems pretty chill. Okay. I like, I like his ideas. And, right. And then at the end, it's like, oh man, we can we can poison all the salad bars, and it's it's 
this is like this event was the largest poisoning that's what they say yeah in american history and somehow i had no no idea that this was a thing mm-hmm. like did you did you hear about this before no you would think there'd be a buzzfeed article or something right that random mlb espn fact oh by the way right. did you guys know the top 3 po- biggest poisons yeah big yeah everybody knows about like the drinking the Kool-Aid and yet we don't know we anything about, about eating the salad yeah. it's it's really <laughs> weird um but I think it's uh, for p- fans of true crime. Uh, this is uh, in a really interesting documentary. I don't know how much of the true crime itch it's going to satisfy uh-huh. because it, they do this thing that they kind that's a little frustrating by the end, where they're not really like sitting down the people who are responsible and saying why did you do this? Do this? Or, uh, you know, it, it, they they actually get some really good interviews, um, but. I think uh, the the team of McLean Way and Chapman Way, their siblings who made this documentary, uh, I don't know if they took it in all the directions I would like to, but they kept it compelling, and it's just a really fascinating story. You know, we've talked in the past how sometimes a documentary doesn't necessarily have to be formally inventive, but if mm-hmm. it's a really interesting story, you're interested you're in. in it anyway. Uh, I would say that this is worth your time. Like, I, I don't know what turned you off to it, but I'd say about two episodes in, you get to okay. really hear some of the good details. Three episodes in, and they're like uh-huh. starting to get towards the murdery bits. Okay. So that's what it was. I was two episodes in, and I was like, "There's nothing wrong with this guy. Am I supposed to hate him?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Although like, just this sounds like the rappers we listen to nowadays. I'm like, what's the problem? Yeah. So that's what I needed. I was like, at what point does it get you? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that's what's kind of cool about it. It's that luring you in. It's like, oh, I don't think he's that bad. And then, no, they're, they're that bad. And you're bad. like, yeah. Yeah, I see, I see how cults work. So that brings me to another one. Did you see Evil Genius? No, that is high on my to-watch list. Mm-hmm. I finished yeah. that one. That was a, a four-parter as well. The first yeah. episode gets you like this. And then I feel like it fizzles off a bit. It's still very, very interesting. Very, very intriguing, but I'm curious to know your thoughts on it, because uh, specifically the Duplass brothers. Yeah, this and Man. Wild Wild Country are yeah. both uh, docu-series they've produced for Netflix. They've been they've been up there, dude. And uh, I, I found it funny, like halfway through watching it, you, you realize who the evil genius is, and you're like, man, this person's a creep. 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 On Netflix, <laughs> played by a Duplass brother. <laughs> is he just researching his... Like, part of me makes me think, like, he's researching his next role, which I think is the most genius idea don't just research your next role <laughs> make a, a documentary, documentary produce a documentary for exactly you know yeah. it's that uh chris hemsworth like don't just uh try to be a comedian for thor ragnarok you know bank a couple of roles on vacation and <laughs> right. ghostbusters that's your practice it's funny yeah anyway uh let's move on to the yay or nay talking about the latest happenings in mm-hmm. the entertainment industry starting with two more potential Star Wars spin-offs that got the movie rumor mill turning over the past week. Uh, one involving a potential Obi-Wan Kenobi spin-off that would take place prior to A New Hope, and another, a Donald Glover-centric Lando film. Both rumors have been downplayed and nothing has been confirmed to follow the release of the upcoming Solo, but Art, yay or nay, you're on board for more character-centric Star Wars spin-offs. For me, no. The only one that I want to see, and this is as a joke, is the Boba Fett one. Yeah. Because <laughs> he won't speak the entire movie. I like Childish Gambino. I, I, this was brought up to me. Someone asked, because like, supposedly the Lando one was in talks and then it got canceled. And I was like, but, but why do you want to see that? 
Like his story, I feel, can be intertwined with Solo. The same way right. Chewbacca doesn't need his own story. That's intertwined with Solo's. Yeah, I mean, I feel like without having seen Solo, so I can't really like mm -hmm. make this recommendation based off the content of the movie, I'd be more interested in a Lando sequel to Solo that is continuing what happens in Solo, exactly. but in a more Lando-centric way. I, just, I don't know. I, my biggest problem with prequels, and this was a question that I posed for uh, my upcoming Twitter episode, is what are the best prequels, and do they tell the best stories, and do they add to it, right? Rogue One is a very interesting case in where it does add to, if you if you were fresh, or even if you weren't, if you were just doing a rewatch, you watch Rogue One, and you see the events of Rogue One, and it makes Episode Four a bit bigger, a bit more grand, right? You go right. into Episode Four now going, people have sacrificed themselves to get to this point. Yeah. To some people, they already know this, right? Like, to some people, Solo may be a fun movie and we get to know a bit more about Han Solo. But there are other cases where a prequel doesn't really add that much to it. Sometimes it contradicts things. Sometimes you go, wait a minute, they went through this? Right. Doesn't seem or, like that in the originals that we saw. not my Han, you know? Like, <laughs> this is it, not it, my it, Solo. Yeah, exactly. It, it's gonna... Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if going through the characters is necessarily the best way to do it. I think... If anything, similar to the Rogue One idea, you really want to do kind of and like that, a tangential character, or, or yeah, like a if it's an event, if it's an event that's sort of on the mer on the margins of the Star Wars story, or if it's a character like uh, what is it? Uh, I'm forgetting the name of the, the Cantina, like some somebody that we see in the Cantina for a second, it, that might be more interesting because there's almost like more room to fill in, yes. whereas. With with Han or with Lando or with Obi Wan, these are characters that have a lot of expectations on them, and it's. You're not I think there's a little on. bit too much of like trying to thread the needle and making mm -hmm. everybody happy and make sure that it all fits. And the biggest issue with it being a character thing too is that the main reason they do that they're going for the big names, like you said. You know, they're not going to choose a side character in the cantina. They're going for yeah. the big names because that's what's going to make the most drawn. So yeah. then you start wondering: Are you guys really trying to tell a story, or are you guys trying to build off? of another character and thus risking ruining that character for some people. I, I, we both still stand in the idea that you can never ruin a character. Just yeah. go back to the ones that you like. But no, I agree with you. I think it would be a lot better to cover a specific area, event, something. Something that they've talked about with Games of Game of Thrones for the prequel series where they want to cover a specific era. You know, be it that it's not related to forefathers or something like that. Yeah, well, that's a great transition because according to fansite <laughs> theonering.net, Amazon's forthcoming billion-dollar Lord of the Rings TV show will begin its first season centered on the adventures of a young Aragon, which is not the name of a SoundCloud rapper. Mm -hmm. uh, for those less familiar with Middle-Earth Swordsman, Aragon was the character played by Viggo Mortensen. Oh, okay. Uh, in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. So Art, yay or nay, you're curious about a Lord of the Rings show that starts years before the story of the film. Um, again, this is covering a character in particular, but Aragon dies in the first, right? Or no, 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 no. I'm thinking of... Uh, I'm thinking of... Um, I, I... Sean, uh, Bean. Bean dies in the first. Aragon lives. Um, he's the king, is he not? <laughs> I, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not the Tolkien expert. This, this is not my forte. The reason why I think it'll be good is you said it's a billion dollars, which I believe this is why Amazon is raising everyone's prices from the eight ninety nine or whatever yeah, is ninety nine. Specifically, to uh, it's Lord specifically of the Rings to tax. pay off for this Lord of the Rings things. Yes, uh, if they're putting that much money into it, 
if they're making an actual series off of it. So it's not the Hobbit thing again, where it's one book stretched mightily right. out to two and a half movies. I'm always for a series, right? Dear White People was a movie where both... Uh, did you see season two? I'm still not there, okay. but I'll, I'll um, get there. Amps it up, and you flesh out these characters a bunch more. Now, hopefully, if... I'm hoping it's not just him. I'm hoping it's other people. I hope they do a little... You know, Breaking Bad isn't just a story of Walter White. He is the one who's Breaking Bad. But amidst right. all of that, it's also the story of Jesse Pinkman. You also get the perspective of his wife. You get some some very you know interesting villains. I hope it's not just from his perspective. He may be the main character. But I think fleshing out a series with that much money on it with Amazon, I think may be the biggest boost Amazon can get. Because I'm going to be straight with you. No one's watching Mozart in the Jungle. <laughs> yeah, no matter how many Emmys that show wins. Uh, yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I'm thinking of like the Game of Thrones model here yeah. where you're you're trying to develop like a full world. You know, it, mm -hmm. Amazon wants this show to be a kind of Game of Thrones level hit. And what's so great about Game of Thrones is it's it took the time to really develop all these characters in this full world and and it what you know when it gets to the big moments they have weight because you know why they mean stuff for me like it, as somebody who isn't really a big fantasy Tolkien fan or Tol Tolkien specifically okay. but fantasy in general you know when the ring shows up in Lord of the Rings fans of the books know that's important but we as an audience aren't necessarily so so clued into its its importance I feel like a show like this, like maybe it's gonna wait years to really introduce that idea, or you know, this the ring will be like the dragons of Game of Thrones, just something that's kind of hinted at, hinted at, slowly developed, and then becomes like the focus for those last couple of seasons. Mm -hmm. it, I think they they could do a lot of really interesting things by going so far back, by going to something that's a little less familiar to a mainstream audience. So I'm for it, although yeah. I'm still not super excited about the show well i mean it comes with my amazon prime thing right so i'll give it that yeah uh zombie land returning from the dead apparently rhett reese and paul wernick are hot off of writing deadpool 1 and 2 mm -hmm. and it seems they have the juice to return to the franchise that shot them to popularity talking to vulture the co-writers revealed that they're planning to follow up their 2009 movie zombie land with a sequel that will reunite the original cast so art Mm. Yay or nay, you want to see Woody Harrelson, Jesse Eisenberg, Emma Stone, Abigail Breslin, and Zombie Bill Murray return in Zombieland 2? Uh, I don't really care for the cast. I, I think the movie's it it's fine. But this movie has a following still to this day. Some mm -hmm. people were bringing it up to me uh, just last week talking about how this is like one of their favorite meta movies. Mm -hmm. And I keep forgetting. I always forget that th th these are the guys who made Deadpool. Right. The biggest right. meta movie now. I was like, oh, I, I always forget to make that connection. Um, I think with the success that they've brought upon themselves, I feel like they're in a mode. They're in a they're in a groove right now. They haven't mm -hmm. really had this big dud. If I'm thinking back to their filmography, so if they're able to get the back the same cast, who exponentially have all grown since yeah. the last one, each one's more famous <laughs> now than they were then. I'd say some have Academy Awards since yeah. then. Um, that would be interesting. Yeah, um, I'm totally for it too. You know, before this sequel was in the works 
they tried to turn Zombieland into a TV show during the whole like that. Amazon pilot run, and it was kind of bad. It was kind of low budget, and now they seem to have a little bit more weight. You know, going off of all the money that Deadpool's made, this cast is a much bigger draw than they were uh, several year, or ten years ago, I guess already. So I think there could be something interesting in in that they seriously. Have, they probably have a lot of ideas for this world. They're passionate about this world. I like enabling writers who have a lot of ideas uh, for something that's kind of a specific vision. And I thought Zombieland was actually a lot of fun. I probably liked it a little, little more than you telling from context. Mm. But uh, it's interesting to me. I, You know, I, I want to see more. I'm curious if the original cast is actually going to come back. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, in, given that they probably ha- are going to have a bigger budget for this one, I think they could really up the ante. And it'd be interesting because, you know, usually we don't get this long of a wait between sequels. I wonder if they'll do anything because of that. I hope they don't Zoolander it. Right, yeah. Fifteen years after he was rumored to be replacing Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker, Jake Gyllenhaal may finally wind up in a Spider-Man movie, but not as Spidey. The actor Uh is in talks to play the role of Spider-Man villain Mysterio, in the upcoming sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming, even though um, Peter doesn't feel so good. But Art, yay or nay, you want to see Jake Gyllenhaal play Mysterio? I want to see Jake Gyllenhaal. That's a good point. But you know this. And I think we brought this up before in another episode where Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, he's had the the awards buzz. He's, you know, a good-looking dude. He makes makes the rounds as a a star, as a celebrity. He's in a bunch of great movies. But I, I personally felt he's never had that franchise. Right. Right? Because every other... He tried with, like, Prince of Persia. He tried with Prince of Persia that went nowhere. Yeah. And I always forget Gemma Ardit, whatever her name is. Artetan? Yeah, she's in that. That's so... Anyways, uh, he's never had that. Christian Bale has had that. The awards, but he's also, he's had The Dark Knight, right? A bunch of other Oscar winners have that plus something else, right? Jennifer right. Lawrence has her, her award movies, but she and has a bunch of franchises. Yeah. Exactly. He's never had that Marvel money, right? Like, even <laughs> Kate Blanchett now has that Marvel money. Yeah. Um, it would be interesting to have him in this. The only thing they have against that is that Myster- you don't see Mysterio's face. So, as I said, what are you going to, a ghost story him? You're just going to cover him up? You're not going to see his face? Then so what's the point? And if Mysterio has a sound effect on his voice, I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, without knowing as much about the villain as uh, you do, I mean, Bro, I think it'd be... <laughs> I think it'd be interesting just because I think Jake Gyllenhaal is not only a really good uh, actor, but an actor who plays villains in a fun way, mm-hmm. whether it's Nightcrawler or Okja. Okja. Uh, you know, he, he can lean into the comic bookness of villains, I think, and really give a, you know, very hammy kind of fun performance that I think would work in this elastic, very rubbery Spider-Man universe. I don't know about not seeing his face. I mean, I think he's a really good visual actor and, and can do a lot with his face, so that maybe is a hang-up for me. But I don't know. Who knows? They will they might re- reimagine him. They often do for these movies. Uh, is that like a make-or-break thing with Mysterio? That would be like having Batman without the mask. Oh. Like, that's his, no, like that's his look. Does he... Make absolutely no sense. Does he have... Does he take it off, like, in private? Maybe they'll give him a lot of scenes in private? Wait, ain't no damn Hamlet. You ain't gonna have no mo- monologue happening. Ah, oh, what I must bear as I face this teenage boy. <laughs> I don't know. 
Oh, and the other thing being is that I don't want it to be a Killmonger effect where you fall in love with this character and then it's just a one and done. That's the other thing. Right. I really want him to have that Marvel money. I want him to be around for a bit. Well, another thing is that they uh, there are rumors that Michael Keaton's character will be back for this movie too. Yeah. So we might not be seeing the end of Jake Gyllenhaal. He might be around if, I don't know if that they're still trying to do that Sinister Sticks thing ever, ever, eventually, but... Bro, I'm telling you, so here's a quick theory I'm going to just throw out there, right? So it, they're still working with Sony. Yeah. Right? And Sony has set up all that dumb stuff, right? There is a thing called the Spider-Verse, mm-hmm. where a bunch of the Spider-Mans clash from each other from different universes. Like, that's an actual thing. We have all these actors still alive who have played Spider-Man. Interesting. Bear with me, right? Because we just had somebody do a snap and reality and everything change, right? If we can accept freaking guns turning into bubbles, who's to say when you're literally working with somebody, right? Because we've been saying, hey, what if they get the X-Men or somebody else? Oh, that's not really possible because of rights. Well, Well, wait a minute. You do have the rights with Sony and all the previous Spider-Man. And if they are willing to, probably won't happen because wasn't it both of them, Toby and Andrew, found out by watching the news? I think so, yeah. So I don't think they actually have a good relationship. But just spitballing out there, if they do a Spideyverse thing where they end up clashing with other Spider-Men and maybe previous also villains, I, I personally, Doc Ock to me is in the realm of people who you can't really do a new incarnation Mm -hmm. and live up to it, right? Yeah. Uh, Heath Ledger's also one, but that's not stopping them from doing different Jokers. Uh, I don't know. I think that would be interesting Yeah. if they do something like that. All right, so let's hit a few topics in the rough cuts before we break from yay or nays, starting with Obama flicks, as previously reported on Intercut, and now made official, former President Barack Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama have signed a multi-year content deal. Art, yay or nay, you'll be looking forward to new Obama-approved Netflix content. I'm, I'm down on it. If it's on Netflix, I'm cool with anybody stuffing as much stuff as you want on Netflix. I just yeah. hope that with the amount of stuff that they put up there, that the quantity or that the quality uh, makes up for it, right? Because we got the Letterman one back, and that one's cool. But we talked about it before. There's a great video out there by Thomas Flight about how they're just trying to do something different, it's particularly for that one. It's the editing style of it. Mm-hmm. I, I just hope that the content they create is good. Yeah, and I think through Obama's years as president, uh, he or the people around him have mm-hmm. shown a pretty savviness uh, when it comes to the media and what media to take and what media to do, yeah. whether that's like giving him funny speeches at the correspondence dinner or letting him do some funny or die videos, stuff like that. So I'm hoping, you know, they've got the right uh, decision makers around them, or, or maybe it's just his taste, you know, he, he puts out interesting playlists and apparently likes Kendrick and stuff. So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe the Obama's good taste. I think uh, Malia is trying to become a filmmaker. Maybe this is their way oh, of, okay. of just kind of letting her get filming? in. Filming? Yeah. Right. yeah. Rick and Morty fans anxiously awaiting Wait. the show's fourth season pickup were rewarded for their patience with a staggering 70 episode order from Adult Swim for a show that only has 31 episodes so far. Yeah. So, Art, yay or nay, you like this big move by Adult Swim. Sure. I feel like there's I something about it makes me feel like there's something else going on, right? I don't. I feel like they're going to do something. They didn't just accept this. They, he would have accepted it for a reason, for an idea. And 70 isn't so, so much. It's. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's like, that's it. That's the final. Like that's that's the max of it. You get what I mean? Right. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a deal they were doing to basically say, okay, we're gonna do seventy and we're done. 
you know, I don't exactly, know. Exactly, exactly. Like, like it's just seventy. And that's the that's the the capacity of it. Right. Or if it ends up being a troll thing, Rick and Morty is very meta, and you can just see them ending it after another twenty, another ten, or something, and then just being like, "Ha! Ah, can you imagine if we actually signed that deal?" And then it just like ends or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's interesting that they're willing to put so much weight behind this show. I mean, it's clearly oh. a phenomenon. Oh, it's a ph- yeah. So, that's not just a show. That's a phenomenon. Yeah, exactly. So I. I'm interest, I think it's an interesting move just on the idea that we don't normally see a television network commit this hard yes. after one of its shows. So. True. So there's no doubt they, they cut the check. Yeah. So they have, they have the money. <laughs> Do you think that they have the ideas, though? Dan Harmon and... Uh, I mean, it, guys? I, I wouldn't... I'm not going to be the person who says Dan Harmon's going to run out of ideas anytime right. soon. Right. But, uh, but f- clearly the bag was big enough that he's like, of course, let's do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But did he say let's do this before he had the ideas? That's the thing, you know. I mean, I, I don't know if they – I doubt they have 70 ideas. That seems like a lot this early in the game, but – This is where I go. At what point is it going to waver? Because just follow these guys on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> My man goes crazy sometimes. He just loses oh, yeah. it. So. Yeah. Steven Spielberg is ready to put together his next project following Ready Player One, and it may see him reteam with a familiar face, Leonardo DiCaprio, for the first time since 2002's Catch Me If You Can. Underrated. The two icons are planning an epic biopic of former U.S. Army Commanding General and the 18th President of the United States, Ulysses S. Grant. Art, yay or nay, this is the project you'd like to see those two reteam for. Not really, but sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure, why not? Yeah, I mean, the, we're both not huge fans of Lincoln. Lincoln and and exactly. you hear Spielberg and President and epic biopic, and that, that sounds like Lincoln. Awesome. Um, yeah. yeah and, and, you know, that also sounds like a thing Leo would do, too, because he's shown up in some kind of boring movies that are a little bit historical, too. I'm hoping there's more there, but it's Probably definitely not. not as exciting as the premise to catch me if you can. Mm-hmm. Gotham was recently renewed for a fifth and final season, but the show's producers aren't yet done exploring the Batverse. The Hollywood Reporter says Epics has ordered 10 episodes of Pennyworth, a show that will explore the life of Bruce Wayne's butler and Alfred Pennyworth prior to his arrival in Gotham while working for Bruce Wayne's father in London in the 1960s. Art, yay or nay? Sure, we talking epics. The the channel with the X at the end, epics. Epics. They got the movies. Epics. Uh, I'll say this: people have been telling me it's like, hey, you got to watch Gotham. You got to watch Gotham. Like for real. Like uh, starting season three got real good. And have you seen those fan edits of the Joker that they got? No. Or is it interesting? He's not allowed to be called the Joker. He came out and he said it. Because DC refuses to let any TV people, they can do the Joker. This is why it's super weird. They can literally do the Joker. They just cannot call him Joker because that's saved for the movies, not the TV. They don't want to make. Oh, they're willing to put Jared Leto and call that the Joker. Yeah, right. They said on TV, you can literally do the Joker, but you can't call him the Joker. So his name is Jerome. I have seen some fan edits of this guy. Uh, I, I forget what his name is, but I, I believe he was in The Gifted. This actor goes balls to the wall oh, damn. crazy. This kid is good. He's not also not allowed to have the green hair, so I think he's been playing with the purple hair. Right. This this kid is killing it. it, it and I've just been seeing the fan edits. I, it's making me want to actually cap up, catch up with the show because I've only seen season one. Um, so if they're going to stick to this, 
like the fans have come back. These fans are like Brock Hampton, Brock Hampton fans <laughs> for this show. They're like, no, you got to give this thing a chance. I was like, all right, I, I, I just might. The thing with the Alfred one is that this incarnation of Alf- Alfred is like Earth One Alfred, and where he's not just a butler, he's actually like trained and stuff. Yeah, he's like a spy or something. Exactly. So this is where it's not just gonna be like the freaking uh, what's his name from Fresh Prince of Bel Air. It's not gonna be his version of the of the story where he's just serving. It's actually gonna be him like you know s- serving up some punches and stuff. So that would right. be interesting to see. Uh, so let's move on to our topic of the week, but let us know in the comments down below what you thought of this week's yay or nay news. Let's talk about the Cannes Film Festival, mm-hmm. uh, which just recently ended in France and awarded some of its winners. They uh, do awards annually where uh, they give out Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress to the films that are appearing in competition. Not every movie that plays in Cannes plays in competition, though. So like Solo, which is a film that... Uh, showed there was not shown in competition. Also, the new Lars von Trier film was not shown in competition. So, of the films that were in competition, it was Japanese the Japanese film Shoplifters that took home the top prize, the Palme d'Or. Uh, Pavel Pavlovsky, who previously won Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars for his movie Ida, uh, took home the Best Director Award for his latest movie Cold War. But I think of most interest to most American audiences is that Spike Lee's new movie, Black Klansman, won the Grand Prize Award, which is typically Mm. given to the second place film. Uh, Let me start off with this art. Do the con accolades for Black Klansman or any of these other movies make you more interested in films coming out of the festival? Y'all see the title of this segment right here, if you're watching just this segment out of the entire podcast, which you should. Cons is one of the worst film festivals. I'm saying this from my perspective right here. And when I say that, it's a layered type of thing, right? By a layered type of thing, I'm not talking about the films themselves. I'm not. I'm talking about the way the festival in and of itself does its awards and it clearly having an agenda. We, we've talked about the Oscars before as being another award show. Because the, the, the thing about this is that it's, it's, it's very much an award show and a film festival at the same time. Like, like mm-hmm. Sundance does that as well. But the, the award for, for, what is it, the Palme d'Or that they yeah. give? Like, that's what they hold on to, 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 like, the end when they make the DVD copy of the, of the thing. But cons, cans whatever you want to call it, clearly has an agenda as we covered in the past where they act like fifth graders who are doing these things against Netflix where they bar Netflix because a movie needs to be shown in a cinema. And Zach, you and I are very much on the side where we always want to see every movie we can at a movie theater. That is, that is the sanctuary, right? That is mm-hmm. our... <laughs> the cinema is our, is, is our synagogue where we go and we worship and, and we get invested in these worlds. Cannes is the one place that always takes it a step above, right? When you hear about booing audiences, where is that? It's at Cannes. That's where people take films seriously enough to boo a film. Mm-hmm. But are Which, they, do they even I don't care know if about that's a good movie? thing. But. Exactly. Do they even care about the movie? And we're talking about, again, the film festival, the award ceremony that happens with the people who worked on this film actually there. We're talking right. about the one place that actually has a dress code. The one place where people will walk out in front of cameras so that it can be shown, so it can become a trending moment on Twitter, where you walk out of a movie from a director 
who you already know what he's going to serve you. And I've, I've gotten that because some people I know gave a counter argument with, um, what's his name? Uh, Lars von Trier. Lars von Trier and his, his movie. Okay, well, walked out. let me, do you want to yeah. talk about that quick? Because so to stay on the bench, to stay with the beaches of France, over a hundred moviegoers walked out of the premiere of Lars's new movie, The House That Jack Built, calling the film disgusting, torturous, repulsive. It's not the first time that a Vonture film prompted walkouts, right. but this is the biggest walkout in con memory. Uh, does, does this kind of make you even care about the film, or do you think this is just an, a symptom of the con film festival? I feel when anybody ever talks about walkouts or whatever else, it's a publicity stunt. It is always a publicity stunt. Yeah. All of it is a publicity stunt. Thing with it, the counter argument that people gave was just because Lars von Trier has made movies that cause people to want to walk out doesn't mean that we should expect that from all his movies. Thus, you should go. I was just looking at some of the pictures of the people who were walking out. And it reminds me of when I go to Sundance and some people watch like 10 minutes and then leave. And I see them as they leave that blue, beautiful, silver badge shine in my face. And I go, oh, you are not a film critic badge. That is that VIP badge where you literally aren't going for the movies. You're just going because you're super rich and you want to work out that dress and want to be yeah. with the celebrities or whatever business person you are. And you just leave because anybody else would have known. And again, to bring it back to that, you're right. Not all of his movies need to be wa- need to be that um, – gory or whatever you want to call it what's the premise of this movie zach a serial killer story i mean there is something there's something really kind of ridiculous about the image of all these people dressed up in tuxedos with tails and fancy dresses and sitting in an elegant french movie theater and watching this serial killer film this torture porn gore fest which like i'm not saying that uh, you know, something that's gory can't have artistic elements to it, but it, it is sort of funny this way that they, they yeah. are trying to, yeah, yeah. The what opened last year? From uh, uh, I see you have, what are those things that you have behind you? I can see some of the Psycho, uh, Devil Wears Prada. What do you call those things? What do you call those types of images? Oh, right. Uh, emoji mm. movie. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about dresses and, and very high class people. And Netflix isn't good enough, even though Netflix is restoring that lost, um, what's his name? Orson Welles Orson movie. Wells. Right. Doing actual things for cinema. They're not allowed to be here. Yeah. 2017, we're going to open up the festival or whenever they showed it with the emoji movie. Yeah, is it I mean, juxtaposition tec- or is it being hypocritical? At technically, some point? it premiered out of competition, which you know they've had some not so great films premiering out of competition. But yeah, it's not really it's not in theme with the rest of what Khan normally does. So right. it's a little strange when they do stuff like that. I mean, that's you know, not that Solo and the Emoji Movie are the same thing, but Solo is the same thing this year in that like it doesn't feel like this movie belongs. No. Next to this Thank slate you. of like random foreign right. low budget this films. Is what I'm talking about. Tiff, I always feel not not so much that it has a theme, but it has it has a specific thing that they aim to present within their films. Mm-hmm. Sundance, the way it breaks down its categories and the way that it's trying to push independent film, even though it's kind of changing throughout the years. South by Southwest, it they recognize their audience. This is why it's so weird when you see stuff from cans coming out and there's all these people dressed up in dresses and in suits and all that stuff. And they go into a movie like the Lars Rontrier thing. And I feel what they want to do because it's a part of the thing is to walk out. 
yeah. is to boo. No, even if you're not getting anything from the movie, you just have this. What's the word that film people don't ever want to hear? Pretentiousness to you uh, that you want to live up to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is, you know, there's that sort of feedback loop, I guess you can call it, where it's like, oh, I went to con and I walked out of a movie. You know, it's kind of like part of the, part of the con experience. Exactly. That's no. where people walk out. That's where people boo exactly. at movies. There's, all, there's always a story every year of some movie getting booed. Uh, last year, it was the Netflix logo specifically before Okja. They didn't boo the movie Okja, they just booed when the Netflix logo, logo showed came. up. Yeah. Uh, before that, That's it was dumb. Gus Van Sant's Tree of, uh, Sea of Trees movie, uh, which, you know, this critics who were there, or not even critics, just people who were there just decided it wasn't good enough or what. And even though there's probably a ton of movies that are worse than I, I haven't seen it, but it, I'm sure it's not so offensive to you that you need to boo, it, it, you know, the, but there's this this pretension to the festival that's really interesting. Uh, and I think it's something that sets it apart. And I think it's something that- oh, Don't is, get us wrong. You and I get tickets, we're there day one. Yeah, yeah, we we would go if we had we the opportunity. Go, but in um, terms of the festival, you're right. When it, I, I'm always very curious to see the films that are winning, right? You Were Never Really Here. It was one of my favorites from this past uh, past month. And that won at um, cons last year, I want to yeah. say, or, or whenever it had come out. And that was a movie that wasn't even done being edited when it was shown and still won, you know what I mean? Right. So yeah, I, mean, I don't that's blame the, the movies, I blame the festival. What's interesting about Khan to me uh, is it's the one notable festival I can think of that gets attention in America, even though there aren't a lot of American movies that are shown there. Yeah. Uh, you know, Under the Silver Lake, I think, was shown there, but I don't think it was shown in competition. Really, it was Black Klansman is the big uh, American movie that is part of the reception, but oftentimes the American movies go get shut out at these awards, and it's a lot of awarding the French films or Asian films or other European countries' films, and it's a you know it's one of the few times where there is a big spotlight on the international film community. I know there's a lot of stories about a film called Rafiki that was at Cannes this year, which was a uh, I want to say it was a Nigerian lesbian love film, even though. Uh, homosexuality is out, outlawed yeah, there, and the film is banned there. Uh, but you know they were still able to make it there and bring it to Cannes. So yeah. you know, that's an interesting story that Cannes is able to help highlight. That being said, they seem to so intentionally steer away from a lot of the things that are uh, a lot of the ways that movies are going by by doing this ban on films that aren't don't have a French. Uh, theatrical release date, which is essentially just a swipe at Netflix, even though yeah. Netflix then came in and bought a couple of the Khan Award winners. I don't know. It, 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 this, and this is all, you know, like Thierry Fermeau, who is the, the director of the Institut Lumière, the French Film Institute, he's the one who's kind of been on the campaign to really you know, kind of keep Khan Khan, whether that's uh, eliminating the films that are streaming or it's the the Keep recent con con the the banning of selfie sticks. Uh, there was also a big thing I think last year how all women had to wear heels or something like that. So, you know, how is that a film festival? Exactly. There's all these things about it that are very like hoity-toity and like based on like 
high high class culture and stuff like that. that exactly. D- just seems like that's what it distant makes from a lot of what's movies. interesting about films. Exactly. Talking about how it needs to open up in cinemas, but you won't even invite those cinema goers. Isn't there like isn't cons invite only? I believe so. I think it's one of the only fil- film festivals, or at least major ones, where you can't buy tickets. You have you can't buy tickets. You have to be yeah. invited. Yeah. Which again makes me go, but. And I forget because there's a phrase for this. There's a phrase dealing with that idea of having things being so limited, guarded, and not open to the public brings like it down. the exclusivity down. of it? The, the exclusivity of it. Uh, you know, I'm a beer aficionado. A lot of people don't like the Wisconsin beers that aren't allowed to be sold outside of Wisconsin. To some people, that gives it an int- intrigue. Ooh, I have right. to go all the way to Wisconsin to get it and drink it there. To other people, it's like, no, you just you can ship it out. Yeah. You just don't want to, and you'll sue the people who sell it because they don't have the license because you refuse to give it. That same idea there of, of we, when limited releases come out, right? When the studio decides to do that tier thing where it's just that one theater, right? That's like 20 minutes right. from your house and the one in L.A. before they release it somewhere else. And then they go, oh, the movie didn't make money. What could we have done to stop this? <laughs> release it. Have faith right. in your movie. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's, you know... Uh, Khan is fighting a battle that I don't know if it's going to be a battle worth fighting a couple of years from now, which makes it stand out in a weird way, uh, as well as all these like very rigid like cultural things that they, they've done to make themselves this like fancy, exclusive uh, type of festival. It makes it intriguing for people like you and me who are film fans and go to festivals. Yeah. Like I, I would like to be able to do Khan one year, but... It, you know, it, it there's it makes it there's an alienation I think from what most movie fans care for, yeah. and, and I think most people won't necessarily be that intrigued by a lot of the films that play at Cannes, or necessarily it, boosted by the idea that oh, Black Klansman won an award at Cannes. Yeah, I, I definitely am more intrigued by that. I think it, the awards are really interesting. That's the other thing I do really like about the festival. Is, is they're so transparent with who the jury is, who's running the jury. And I like the jury this year. I really jury. do like the jury this Yeah, year. you know, it was run by Kate Blanchett. I know Kristen Stewart was on it. I know Ever DuVernay was on it. Uh, do you know anybody else? But it was a very... A boy, uh, what's uh, his name? With the mustache. And he was over there at Cannes. I believe he was in a, uh, Michael Shannon, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, 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 right? Shannon. So, yeah, it was a super eclectic jury of really interesting filmmakers. So I think it's always interesting to, like kind of see where their taste is, too. Like, these are the people giving these awards out, um, which you don't necessarily know as well or, or the people aren't as famous at places like Sundance that also give awards out. But, you know, there is, like, a weird... I don't know. At what point is it a film festival or is it just a snobby cinematic club? Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is, like, you know... As film festivals have expanded and and there have been new ones popping up all across the nation and Mm -hmm. internationally, Mm -hmm. like the idea of a film festival is looking more and more different from what Khan is. And Khan is really this like exclusive industry press event. Exactly. Uh, So, yeah, there's definitely like a disconnect there. But, you know, I'm curious to see what some of these movies will be like. I'm definitely curious about Cold War. I'm super curious about Black Klansmen, Klansmen. Yeah. Uh, especially considering, you know, uh, the cast and that people have been saying that this is this is 
in the vein of other Spike Lee films, but feels modern. Uh, okay. you, know, you, got, you got Jordan Peele producing it, yeah. so I think there's a lot to be excited about with that movie in particular. Any final thoughts on, on Khan or things to look out for or um, pay attention to? Worst film festival, can't wait to go in 2020. Zach, let's go! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I wouldn't go if I had could pay for it, but please invite me. Yes. Alright, so we're going to get to the new to see, talk about what's new in theaters to streaming and on VOD, starting with, we've been mentioning it all show, May 25th, Solo, A Star Wars Story is finally out, starring Alden Ehrenreich as uh, Han Solo, and of course our boy Donald Glover is in this one, doing his Lando thing, Mm -hmm. Uh, got Phoebe Waller-Bridge in this, and some other, uh, Amelia Clark in this, a bunch of other interesting faces are you uh, planning on catching this one early, or? I was supposed to catch it uh, yesterday. I was in Minnesota, ah. uh, so I wasn't able to make it back. Shout out to E-Man. He, he hooked it up with the ticket, um, but I, I had missed it, so I'll probably be watching it Wednesday night, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. I was excited yeah. for it from the beginning because of the style that, you know, Lord and Miller were going for. I'm very interested to see how much of it stays there. My biggest fear with the movie is that I get the Ant-Man effect where it feels just like a watered-down, degraded version right. of a director's very stylistic direction. Mm-hmm. You see the remnants of uh, the thing That's you It's the like worst there. part, right? Mm-hmm. Cold, hot, what's worse, lukewarm. That's yeah. that's just my biggest worry. But it's Ron Howard, too. You know, They got somebody who, who was able to come in and mm-hmm. hopefully deliver. Enough. And the cast is delightful. I, I've heard Philly, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is really great in it. I love her on Fleabag, and she's the one writing Killing Eve right now, so... Uh, I'm excited to see this one, hoping it is good. Let's go. Uh, there's also a few films coming out in limited release, including two new L. Fanning movies, How to Talk to Girls at Parties, L. Fanning, Nicole Kidman, Alex Sharper in this one, and Mary Shelley, L. Fanning, as the author of Frankenstein, Maisie Williams of Game of Thrones is also in that none, also mm-hmm. out this weekend, Who We Are Now, In Darkness, and The Gospel According to Andre. New to streaming, Netflix, May 24th, Thauda, season two. This is the highly acclaimed Israeli thriller. It's All back right. for its second season. Uh, May 25th, The Toys That Made Us season two, Troll Hunters part three. Then Abiza, this is a new Netflix comedy with Gillian Jacobs, Phoebe Robinson, oh. Vanessa Bayer, starring okay. as friends on a trip to Spain's Party Island. Uh, and then Steve Martin and Martin Short, an evening you will forget for the rest of your life. Two all-time great comedic performers, though uh, Steve Martin hasn't done too much performing of comedy lately, which bit, yeah. makes me really want to check this one out, because I've, I've always wow. loved Steve Martin. All right. Sounds and good. then on May 27th, The Break with Michelle Wolf, which premieres hot off her White House Correspondence Dinner speech. Oh, yeah. <laughs> HBO Now on May 26th, Patty Cakes, which was a Sundance hit from 2017. Huge! But- <laughs> <laughs> Huge hit that was. Yeah, it made a whole lot of money at Sundance and not yep. anywhere else. Uh, and then The Tale, one of your favorites from Sundance this oh, year, that's is right. premiering that's right. on HBO. That's right. You want to talk a little bit about The Tale? Bro, like, I can't even, it feels weird calling it my favorite, you know what I mean? That's like yeah. calling, that's like saying one of your favorite stories with the Bill yeah. Cosby scandal. I love 12 it's Years like, a Slave. Like, it's, exactly. <laughs> I, it's, that is exactly the way to put it. Um, Best way to watch it is the fact that it is coming out on HBO because this is a movie that would be really hard to sell in theaters, mm-hmm. to get butts in theaters, and to keep it there and staring at the screen. At least at home, you could be like, I'm going to pause this, go take a shower, and I'm going to just scrub <laughs> through some of these scenes because it's – we're talking about show, don't tell, right? Yeah. Maybe sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> 
maybe sometimes it's 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 deep. Yeah, and uh, that's a very weird choice to say for this movie. But my it's girl crazy. Laura Dern's good in this one. All oh, fantastic. Awesome. Fantastic. On May 27th, also on HBO Now, HBO Go, Fist Fight, the Ice Cube, Charlie Day comedy. I think that came out a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. On Amazon, May 23rd, Beast of Burden. This is Daniel Radcliffe, Grace Gummer, Pablo Schreiber in a thriller that came out in February to kind of poor reviews. May 25th, Picnic at Hanging Rock, starring Natalie Dormer. And then May 27th, Just Getting Started. It's a straight-to-video release with Morgan Freeman, Tommy Lee Jones, and Renee Russo. That's going to be available on Amazon. Then on May 27th, on both Amazon and Hulu, The Wedding Plan. It's an Israeli romantic comedy. New to VOD, May 22nd, Red Sparrow, Game Night, The Party, 1517 to Paris, a fantastic hey. woman and early man, which I know you didn't like early man that much. Uh, so some interesting titles there, yeah. actually. Uh, I know that you liked Game Night, so I, Game I'm going to try and catch up with that one. But all those aside, what is your pick for the week? My pick for the week, I'm going to have to say, is probably Barry. I think season two hey. is coming okay. out if it's not already out. I was uh, telling you about this before the show. I was watch. I was scrubbing through some Netflix stuff, right? And I was like, I feel like there's nothing to. Why am I always looking on Netflix? I pay right. nine ninety nine for or however much I pay. I don't even know for HBO. What am I doing? Let me go watch that, right? Yeah, it's and not TV. It's HBO. Exactly. You gotta get on it. And so I went on HBO and I just started binging a bunch of stuff. I would recommend Insecure. Insecure has two seasons out. It's pretty good. I, I, I'm halfway through the second season. I know season three is coming out, but I started mm -hmm. seeing the show called Barry. And what, what really got me onto it was I saw Bill Hader, and I like Bill Hader. And then mm -hmm. I, I learned that he was producing, directed some of the episodes. And your boy, Hero... Uh, Mirai. Mirai. Hero Mirai from Atlanta. From Atlanta, and this is America. People were like, yo, have you seen Barry? And I was like, well, I mean, I'm on HBO. You guys had mentioned this. I binged the entire uh, season overnight, and I Damn. loved it. It is fantastic. There are some scenes where you're awesome. like, do they even know that they're saying this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, one thing is, I can't believe I'm seeing this or they're going this way. There's another thing when you're watching the show about this hitman who semi-falls in love and starts becoming an actor where you right. go, is this supposed to be a metaphor? Because this is not a metaphor. This is a really good metaphor. Yeah. That's a, that's a great show, and I'm excited for season two, so... Yeah, I've heard it does some really interesting things with the like idea of anti-hero, how Hater goes from likable to doing things that you can't forgive him for, for being, yep. being right back to likable again. Yo, for real though, there is one thing where you're like, oh man, he has to do, oh, but that can, oh man, it's good. We'll, we'll be talking about this once you, once you binge it, we'll be talking yeah. about this. Uh, another thing interesting about that, just you brought up Hiro Mirai, I was reading some interviews with him after This Is America, and he said he learned how to do some of the action that he needed in the This Is America video from doing action films, uh, action scenes in Barry. So, uh, yeah. you know, he's learning on the fly and, yeah. and getting better and better. Smart. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with my recommendation as Wild Wild Country. Like oh. I mentioned earlier, it's an uh, intriguing docu-series, only six episodes long, uh, but I think it asks, asks really interesting questions and just shows how like the allure of cults kind of brought, brings a lot of these people in. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a fun watch. Uh, so either that or you can be like me and you can catch up on Game Night because it got a lot better reviews than I was expecting it to and now it's available on VOD. 
Sounds but that's good. all for this week's show. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, at ZShevich, or on Instagram, also at ZShevich. Maybe you want to go to Letterboxd, at ZShevich. I've been getting some new followers uh, from Intercut listeners, so thanks for checking me out there. Also, check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash show. Art, where can people find more from you? You can find me at the A to Z Show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, where I'm doing a couple of stuff over there. Uh, we're about to reach 200. Maybe by the time this episode's up, I think we're yeah, we reached that milestone, dude. It's 200k, crazy. congratulations. 200k, yeah, that was that was insane. I was talking to somebody, and they're like, oh, "How's your YouTube channel doing?" I was like, "I hit 200." They're like, "Oh, that's cute." I was like, "Yeah, 200,000 is a 200,000." I was like, "What would you think was up?" I was like, "Yeah, I mean, it's 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 crazy, it's crazy." Yeah, I'm pr- that, proud of it, and. Yeah, they, you thank you be, guys, man. all of you guys for watching, all of you guys who have come from the A to Z show, those of you who come from the intercut to the A to Z show. Uh, thank you guys for that. So you can definitely catch me over there or just continue catching Zach and I here on the Intercut Podcast. Yes, you can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast using iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. I like Overcast. And also make sure you're subscribed not just to that audio podcast, but to the video podcast too here on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can watch our bright, smiling faces as we run through the latest in entertainment for all of y'all. Find new episodes of Intercut every week. Also check out our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter. All those pages are at intercutpod. You'll get updates throughout the week from both me and Art. I just retweeted a poll of what I should watch next on TV. Barry is one of those options. So if you want me to watch Barry, go check out Intercut Pod. Uh, Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, freeze all motor functions. (laughs) I wasn't going to (laughs) move.